stepping back and stroking two. Bogdanovich thinking about a three. There it is. Yes! See it again. No double team help, and Embiid takes it right to the rack. What's going on, everybody? It's a Monday. Two nuts no, at the Tuesday. It's a Tuesday. Wow. Uh, April 20th, 420 day. Austin Krell with you as always. And I have my co-host back, ladies and gentlemen. He is back. Stay solid, baby. Brock Landis is back and he is ready to go. We have the um what's what's the word? We're locked and loaded. And Brock is ready to deliver for us tonight. Yes, so listen, you took the words right out of my mouth. You 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 gave me the introduction I was gonna give. So having said all that, Austin, let's get it rocking. I appreciate doing this with you. Uh we're doing this privately without the cameras. And I said to Austin before the recording, unfortunately, I don't get to look at his beautiful face, but nonetheless, Brock and Austin back. We appreciate you guys listening and like Austin said, we're glad to deliver. That's right. We're, we're, we're here in private tonight because, um, number one, I'm too lazy to figure out how to not do it privately if we're not going to do it public, if we're not going to be on screen. Uh, it, it's it, I only know how to live stream it, so mm-hmm. that's on me. But the other reason that we're not doing live is because I felt there were more impress and there are more pressing um, issues yes. today in our in our world in our society that dessert that you know content was not at the forefront of people's thoughts and it was about much bigger things um i think we can both say that we feel like today was a very good day uh for great for for for, for this country and without uh, it and you know i know people don't come here to listen to us talk about 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 societal issues this is a basketball podcast but we would be ignorant to ignore it um we won't we won't go into too deep but uh, today was a day that it isn't about, you know, where you come from or where I come from. It's about the fact that this is humanity. And today was a, a, a good day for our brethren and, you know, the, the pe- pe- other humans. And when that's, and when you have that, you have, and you have unity, it's a good day for everybody. So, uh, good things happened today with the outcome of, of, of the trial involving, um, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but Derek, uh, Derek Calvin and, uh, and, 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 you know, the, and the murder of George Floyd, again, not going to go too, too much into that. Cause it, it is, you know, not, not our, uh, forte, but we do feel like a good, a good outcome, uh, was, was, was achieved today. Um, now over to basketball, um, the Sixers, they play the, the Warriors last night. Mm-hmm. Brock, I, I don't know about you, but that was a game where, I mean, the, the losses don't really sting me anymore because I've sort of just kind of grown into this somewhat, this, you know, I'm not like this living and dying by every loss. I <laughs> tend to just, I, 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 t- I tend to just, you know, I, I, I evaluate the team. I know what the team is at this point. And uh, I'm just I'm here to enjoy a basketball game, um, and you know wh- whatever I'm seeing, I'm seeing. But last night was a night where I could I I found myself sort of clapping 
um, and, you know, laughing and smiling at the greatness that we all witnessed last night. Um, and that was Steph Curry. Uh, I, I think he was already in the conversation for MVP, but mm-hmm. I think last night's game was an eye opener for a lot of people who have a, have a hand in the voting. And I think uh, last night was just a, about as incredible of a performance as, as you know, I think I've ever watched against the Sixers. I mean, he was dominant last night. And Austin, this is my thing about just appreciating the product players put on the court. Like, they're only going to be putting this product on the court for so long. And they come so few and far between. So I've always tried to urge people to appreciate that product on the court, regardless of the conference, the team, the rivalry, because it's a privilege to watch. And you said you're watching this, you're clapping, you're smiling, you're enjoying it. That's what basketball is about. At the end of the day, when we incorporate fandom and emotions, then I completely understand if you watch the Warriors and you're rooting for the Sixers and they're getting dropped off by Curry, you might not enjoy it. But that just depends on the type of fan you are, the type of way you watch basketball. There's a a lot of deciding factors, but my thing has always been appreciate greatness, appreciate the product on the court. And to your first point, shout out my brother Zach. He always says, like, people play Russian roulette with their emotions every possession. And that's got to be tiring. I don't know how you can watch basketball that game. I don't know how you evaluate players and teams that way. It's mind-boggling. Like, there's four quarters, 12 minutes a quarter, and it's a game full of runs for both teams. So I never understood playing Russian roulette with your emotions. If the Sixers turn the ball over, it's the end of the world. If they beat the Warriors, they're the best team in the East. If Brooklyn wins and gets a half game up on the Sixers, Brooklyn crowned them the champions. Like, it's a long season. It's a marathon. And this was one of those games where I think there was – kind of a census opinion after the game that the loss didn't matter because you got to see Curry deal all night. And in the fourth quarter, I believe he had five three-pointers. And watching Curry, every shot he takes, it's almost acrobatic. And if if it's not acrobatic, you're just in awe. Because if you really think about it, Austin, I know you used to play, and and, and your forte was the three ball, shooting the jumper, right? So Correct. the thing is, like you'll go out and you'll, you'll you'll toss up a three ball, and it's second nature. Like you shoot the three and you don't think twice about it, but then you move back a couple feet, you get to NBA range, and you're like, "Damn, this is kind of far." Then you get back a little further, you're closer to half court, which is also NBA range for guys like Steph, for Trey, for Dame, and you're like, "If I shot this shot thirty times, I don't know if it'll go in once." And the crazy thing is these guys are pulling from deep range with defenders, navigating around screens, perfect flick of the wrist, and it's just an incredible athletic feat. Like, to shoot the ball from that distance, you got to be a freak athlete. And and to do it with accuracy, you've got to be a freak athlete. And every time Curry shoots, you know, he's this little undersized guard. He's just navigating around the screens, creating a tiny bit of space. All of the attention on the floor is on him. The Sixers doubled him as much as they could. The The Boston Celtics the other night when he massacred them and unfortunately lost in TD Garden. I mean, the Celtics were throwing three bodies at him. Like It, it almost reminds me of Allen Iverson's play in a sense where they have two completely different play styles, but they are just freak athletes and some of the best basketball players in the world. And when they're dealing, 
they're dealing. You just sit back, appreciate, and enjoy greatness. I will say, though, I don't think this game was lost defensively. I think it was more of an offensive loss, but I was happy to see Curry do that because it's a privilege to get get him to watch, to, to watch him get to do that. I will <clears throat> say this, and I think, like, so number one, I, I think they did somewhat lose the game um, defensively just because of, like, how they schemed. Um, I like, like for instance, I felt like outside of the pick and roll, they they, they would have guys like Tyrese Maxey trying to push through screens, and they were dropping MB on this little soft hedge type thing, and it was mm-hmm. was just uh, breaching the screens and just like pulling up, and there was he was like, is this it? There, there's no, there's no pressure on me. This is how you're gonna do it. Um, so I mean, I thought like they generally defended fine. I, I didn't think it was just like some slop fest where they didn't care and just like mm-hmm. perform. I thought it was more along the lines of like explain your your thought process behind this. Um, but I mean, I, I I will I will say this. I thought they generally held their own um, throughout the game, and I, and I thought they were. I you know they 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 usually do this thing now where they either run away with it early and then blow the lead, or <laughs> they. Um, you know, they, they fight, they fight, they fight, and they, they keep it close, and then in the end, they take it over, uh, which I guess is what good teams do. But I felt like, number one, they just got nothing outside of the four starters um, and Thibel. I mean, Mike Scott gave them zilch. Uh, everyone, the Maxi was a spark plug off the bench, but generally everybody else gave them nothing um, besides Thibel. So, you know, I thought, you know, that, that was disappointing for sure. Um, but I tell you, like – there's not even there, there there's not even um th- th- there's not even like much that I can really say and criticize the Sixers about because number one like you didn't have two of your three best players and people could say well the Warriors are just some one man show um and I mean like my my high school coach was texting me that he was like he was like how they're gonna beat the the, the Nets when they can't beat the one man the one man mission and, and Steph Curry I'm like well I mean they shut up and wait. Well, Shut up and wait. Well, no, no, number one, I, I would never. He'd beat my ass. Number two, um, number two, like the Sixers one and the Warriors number one are pretty like equal, you know. Um, maybe I mean you, you can have your debates about that, whatever. But mm-hmm. after that, after that, it's like, who would you rather have the Warriors two through fourteen or the Sixers two through fourteen, and. I think the two through fourteen minus Tobias and 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 uh, and Ben, I think I'd rather have the Warriors two through fourteen, wouldn't you? Wow. No, I don't know. I I don't know. I think the war th- th- this Warriors group is one of the lowest IQ basketball groups I've watched play together, and I feel terrible for Steph because he's out here dropping fifty pieces, sixty pieces, forty pieces doing everything he can, putting up eight threes that are good a night. And yet the Warriors continue to fall short. There's a lack of defense. I don't want to say effort, but just a lack of experience matching up with other teams. So I'm not sure if I'm taking the Warriors 2 through 14 over the Sixers 2 through 14 minus Ben and and Tobias. And that's like an asterisk that, that you know, you really don't have to consider because it's not minus Ben or Tobias. It's just a hypothetical. But – what I saw watching this game, and Doc talked about this the other night, 
I'm not sure when the presser was. You probably know the quote, or, or at least when he was talking about it. But he said winning in the NBA is hard. Yeah, it's like you never know like what's going to happen on a given game. What, what was that? It was like the Brooklyn game, I think it was. They, yeah, it was yeah. before the game or something. He said winning in the NBA is hard. Like, you don't realize how much it takes to win a basketball game. And I feel like the fans in Philadelphia have become incredibly spoiled this season specifically. And you can also tell by every Sixers loss, it's like nobody knows how to act like they've been there before. Uh, It's a marathon and no team ever went undefeated for a reason. When your mind is bent and Tobias, you're going to look significantly worse. It doesn't matter if you have the most valuable or most dominant player in the league on your team on the floor because this team specifically, the Sixers team, is built for collective success, for everybody to be on the floor at once. So you got to think, heading into game day, assuming that Tobias is out there to give you eight shots in the first half, at least 20 points at the end of the game, Ben to put guys in the right spots, control pace, maybe if he was assigned to Steph Curry, or if he wasn't at least Rome and, and potentially give Steph some problems, uh, that's a completely different ballgame than suiting up and going without those two, uh, where Mike Scott has to start now, who at this point is, I mean, I hate to slander Mike Scott because of the personality, but he's he, he's an absolute minus right now. Um, it's a completely different ballgame. And like Doc said, like winning in the NBA is hard, and it probably does sound like a cop-out because you look at the Warriors roster, some of the teams they lost to, and you're like, well, this doesn't make any sense. But like I said, when you're minus those guys, it changes your whole preparation. It changes the energy. It changes the atmosphere. It changes a lot for the Sixers. And when I'm looking specifically at what happened on the court, Joe got doubled and and sometimes tripled almost every time he had the ball. I think he shot uh, 21 shots and only made eight of them. He made his money at the line, which is his usual. He went to the line and took 14 shots there, made 11 of them, which, like I said, that's his usual. But he was really forced to pass and decision-make. He had eight assists, and I thought he did a really good job kind of evading doubles. If he didn't evade the double, just keeping the ball high, passing out of him. But you've got to think, right? It's a completely different ball game when Embiid's getting doubled and they're doubling off of Mike Scott or they're doubling off of Tobias. If they're doubling off of Furkan Korkmaz, or if they're doubling off of Ben, so those guys not only make the the, the scoring load for Embiid a little lighter because they take some attention and pressure off of him, but also they create shots, right? Like Ben has a six percent influence on the team's three point shooting on the court compared to off. Thirty nine percent with him on, thirty three percent with him off. If he doesn't shoot threes, how do you explain that six percent influence creating threes for his teammates? So. You've got Ben, who can penetrate and kick to an open three-point shooter. You've got Tobias, who can potentially create for his teammates just with his gravity on the floor. So when you subtract them, and then you force a guy like Korkmaz or a guy like Curry or a guy like Danny Green to create their own threes off the dribble, and really they're rhythm shooters that get shots from their teammates, it's a completely different ballgame. And because of that, I didn't think the Sixers were destined to lose, but you knew it's going to be a game because with the three-point shooting, no team's ever out of the game. You think a three-point shot's a three-point shot. That's You could be down 15 points. It's still a five-possession game. Like, that's well within striking distance for anybody that can shoot the three ball. And you just so happen to be going against the greatest shooter of all time in Steph Curry, and that was the result. But um, 
you just take it on the chin and you move on. At this point, the regular season wins mean nothing. Other than seeding, these, the, the, these next 15, 16 games, they mean nothing. The Sixers and other teams have seen what they have to see, and now it's just repetitions, getting guys comfortable, maybe executing a little better. But these guys want to play in the playoffs. If the season ended today, they would be ready to rock in the playoffs. So right now, these back-end 15 games, they, they, they merely mean nothing. Yeah, um, you you know you 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 make a lot of the points that that you know I think about pretty often as well, and um, I I I don't want to spend too much time on it because you know it's, just, it's like a, it's like a loss, but it just you know a lot it is what it is. But I'll tell you what, a lot of the people uh, who can't think further enough or can't can't think far enough to uh, to really you know. Um, speak with any kind of credibility they were not talking about ben simmons last night because they didn't see ben simmons on the court but i thought ben simmons you really felt not having him last night and i felt like there were those three like out of the ball screen how many threes did curry hit because he felt like he didn't have the the, the pressure and he felt like he, he felt like he had the time um, to, um, you know, rise up and, and shoot because they the Sixers didn't have a strong enough ball defender on him, and they couldn't get over the they couldn't get over they couldn't fight through Draymond Green screens with length or or, or, or strength or what have you. So I thought that you really saw like the the value of of Ben Simmons cannot be neglected when you see how a game like this plays out. Um, and Matisse Thibault, I even asked him about it after the game, and, and, and he was like, Yo, Ben would have been massive for us tonight. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it was it was a game where you really miss Ben, and obviously for the sake of, of him and the team and the fans, I hope he's back soon, of course. Um, but I, I'll tell you this. Did you notice um, – did you notice in the third quarter – like Joel finally gave up on Mike Scott. <laughs> I, 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 I don't want to like make any accusations here, even though I kind of did, but there was a play in that third quarter, like early in the third quarter when Joel goes for that double, double covered bank shot. That, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, he, it was something, it was like the, the seas parted for, but from golden state was like, we beg you pass to Mike Scott. Like just please, mm-hmm. like it, the entire middle of the floor for him to sling a pass across the court was there, and Joel is facing up, so he sees Mike Scott wide the fuck open. <laughs> he just is like, I would rather shoot this double cover than pass to you. <laughs> I, it, it, it just gets to a certain point where, if you're facing doubles and you're passing the Ben and the Dunker. It's an easy pass and an easy two, potentially. If you're passing to Tobias and he doesn't hit the three ball, he can cook up a bucket one-on-one or get fouled. Uh, out of a double team, whether it's Ben, Tobias, or Joe, you can pass to Korkmaz, Curry, Draymond, or not Draymond, Danny, and you know they'll they'll make that shot three or four times out of ten. But Mike Scott has done nothing in the past two months to indicate he'll hit a wide-open three. And... I'm, I'm, I'm kind of reminded of the Brooklyn Nets game, not the Brooklyn Nets game, the Clippers game, my apologies. In each game, I'll look at it. 
Like, what are the Sixers converting out of double teams? Usually seven out of ten, four out of six. Uh, there's a few misses, which is normal. But if you convert that at around 50%, 60%, a team doubles you, they pick their poison. We're going to let you shoot the three because we don't want Joe Benner, Tobias one-on-one. If you get 10, 12, 14 of those shots out of doubles, you convert 50, 60% of them, you're good. But I think back to the Clippers game, and it's like to start the second half, L.A. was aggressively doubling. They they doubled all first half, and Bede still got going. But they wanted to cut the court in half, so Doc adjusted by putting Embiid in the middle of the floor. But before that happened, there was like a three-minute span to open the third quarter where L.A. just doubled. They, they, they left their guy and doubled. And twice it came off of Mike Scott. Embiid went to Mike Scott both times. It was a wide open three both times. He bricked both shots. And then the other time a double comes, you go to Mike Scott, he just passes it. So it gets to a certain point where he might not care. It, it might not be anything personal. But it's like, I don't, I don't trust you to hit this. I trust myself more against a double team contestant than I do you shooting a wide open three. And that's unfortunate. I don't think Mike Scott's going to play much in the playoffs. I, I really don't. But that's just one of those things where it's trust between teammates, and that's indicative of Embiid's trust with Mike Scott. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, Something else, uh, real quickly, real quickly, because you, you'll you understand what I'm talking about. A lot of people don't. Doc always talks about this. He said it a little bit in the Clippers game. He said it against Brooklyn. He said it in this game. We're not worried about Curry. We're not worried about Paul George. Uh, When he says that, he doesn't mean the team isn't worried about these players. He doesn't mean that they're not going to devote attention there or, or put their best defender on those players. What Doc means is we think we have the guys to beat your guys, a full squad to beat your full squad. If Steph gets 42, right? You saw it against Boston. Steph goes off for 42, 47, whatever it was, and they still lost. And that's happened plenty this year with the Warriors. So what Doc is saying is if Curry gets 50, if Curry gets 60, it's whatever. It's the same with Kyrie, the same with Paul George. Like these are players you're not going to stop. So people are unrealistically expecting Ben Simmons as a potential depoy or Matisse as a perimeter defender to hold these guys to like eight points on like two of 14 shooting. Like that's once in a blue moon. You don't do that with superstars because they're superstars. But what doc means is if Curry goes off for 40, but we held everyone else to under eight points, we're going to win the game. The problem is if you play the warriors and in the second half, Curry has 29, which like doc said, you can't stop them. But Draymond green has eight points. Andrew Wiggins has eight points. Kelly Oubre has a couple of buckets. Like, you've got to be able to stop everybody else and let the star player do their thing and try to slow them down. Because we trust our squad at full health more than than we trust yours to win the game. That's all that is. Yeah. No, you're, you're, you're right. I agree. Um, now, Rock, let's let's move on from, from, from last night's game. Um, sure. And we let's go over to some uh, conversations that are – beginning to dominate, uh, if you will. And that is the MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, Coach of the Year, Rookie of the Year, and Most Improved Player awards. And as we get to the last 15 games of the season, you do get the sense that those conversations are coming to a head. So we're going to give each of our – we're going to give each of our top three 
and then we're gonna you know we're we're, we're gonna sort of look look at who we picked and and why. Um, you might we might not have a consensus, and you can say like who you'd pick to win the whole thing right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're gonna go. So we're gonna start off with the MVP race. Brock, beautiful. Give me your top three MVPs. Well, if you have any different MVPs than I do, I'd think there's something wrong with you. Um, <laughs> this is this is a three man race right now, and uh, there is some 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 parity in the NBA because of the circumstances. James Harden's hurt, LeBron James has been hurt, and that probably changes things. But at the moment, this is a three man race. You could say it's a two man race, but Steph Curry makes an incredibly compelling case. It's Joel Embiid, it's Nikola Jokic, and it's Steph Curry. Now, I'm going to say the most deserving MVP. (sighs) I'm just glad I don't have to make these decisions. I'm glad I'm not in a position of power where I have to make these decisions. (laughs) I think the most deserving MVP this season is Nikola Jokic. Okay. It's because he's played the longest duration of games. He's been doing this the most consistently because he's been there the longest. And as corny as the ability is the best ability take is, it's I, I, it's, I, I hate that take. As corny as it is, that's probably. I agree. Um, but look, in terms of dominance, there's not a player more dominant than Joel Embiid. So Nikola Jokic is 55% from the field. 40% plus from three, close to 90% from the line to do that. His size is unheard of. He's in historic company. Uh, he's playing like a modern-day Larry Bird, high-post player, knows all of his spots, dishing the ball out like crazy, arguably the best passer in the NBA, let alone the best passer at his position. And Jokic is just as deserving as anybody else is in, in this list. But look, Joel Embiid has 25 games, 25 of them, with at least 20 points and at least 10 free throw attempts. That's more than Giannis Antetokounmpo, more than Zion Williamson, more than Trey Young, and Nikola Jokic. Nikola Jokic has six with at least 20 points and 10 free throw attempts. Like I said, Embiid has 25, and yet Embiid has played at least 10 less games than everyone on that list. He leads the list. It's his career high through 40 games played, and yet he has 10 less games played than everyone else I just named. And halves with 20 points. Embiid has 23, Jokic has 13. Steph Curry, though, has 29. So what I'll say is all three of them are equally deserving. If Steph makes the playoffs, then I wouldn't want to see him in a play-in tournament. I think Steph is is the MVP. He probably has the most compelling case because if you take Steph off of the Warriors, they'd be a guarantee for Cade Cunningham, all right? But Steph is willing this team to the playoffs. He's doing it, scoring eight threes a game. He's an elite company. He's doing things that nobody else in the history of the NBA has done. But I just look at dominance, right? Most valuable player. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at dominance on both ends of the floor. And of those three, no one is more dominant than Embiid. Getting to the line, controlling the outcome. Like, you got to think, if a guy gets to the line and takes 12 free throws and scores 16, 20 points in the first half alone – he's controlling the outcome of the game. Like they're going to control pace. They're going to control tempo. They're going to control score defensively. He's, he's, he's not only a paint protector, he can bang bodies around the perimeter. He could keep up with guards somewhat. 
and 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 he alters shots. Like if if a guard drives into the lane, they see Embiid. That's in their head. They might pass it. They might not shoot it. They might dribble it out. But they're not going right at Embiid. They'd go right at Jokic. Curry defensively is Curry. He's you could argue he's a plus defender, but he's not a game changer. So I'm just looking at game changing dominance. And of the three, no one is more dominant than Embiid. But all three are equally deserving. And because Jokic has played the most and done it more consistently than the other two, because he's played the most, I think he's going to win it. Okay. I so my top three: Curry, um, Jokic, Embiid. I think so. So, so, so the games played thing does not really have any kind of weight to me. Like I don't care about minutes differential or games played or what, what have you. Um, the best ability is not availability. If that were the case, then uh, why didn't Tabo Cephalosha win a billion MVPs? Why didn't uh, Norris Cole win MVPs? The, the best ability is availability, so why didn't they win MVPs? It's because the best ability – because the availability typically means you're not getting hurt. That typically means because you're not playing because you're not very good to begin with. So that's that, that, that debunks that whole bullshit theory. Um and best player does not mean most valuable player. Uh, there's there's a select few in in the league every year who who are um, who 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 are considered the top of the game. Uh, Kevin Durant, you could argue that any given year, uh, who is you know arguably top three best in in the league when his Golden State won, but never won MVP because you couldn't prove he was the most valuable because the Warriors had had all these stars. Um, same thing goes for Harden this year. I can't say he's most valuable because, I mean, they have three different stars who have had varying abilities, and they've been good regardless. They haven't been sub-500 without any of them. Um, I think for me, the the real difference maker here is take Embiid away from the Sixers, which he did for 10 games. They went 7-3. and three. Nikola Jokic... I think is I think his candidacy has really benefited from Jamal Murray. I mean, look at his stats in in, in those games since his assists are down, turnovers are up a little bit. Um, I think Murray has is, is, is assisted him in looking good. Uh, and I mean, Jokic is still a great player. Um, and I'm you know I'm, you take him away, Denver really isn't shit. So you know that, that all matters. Steph Curry, if you take him away, that team is. I think they're like minus six, six to eight points per hundred without him. And that's like worse than the worst ranked offense in the game by a lot. See, but you told me you'd take their second through 14 over the Sixers second through 14. Mine has been in Tobias. The well, yeah. Warriors are. Well, I mean, in the West, it's different. Like in the, in the, in the East, the Warriors probably be what? Uh, uh, the four seed, the five seed. Uh, they wouldn't be four, but they might be a, that. That you do make a point there. You do make a point there. They would probably be a top ten seed in the East. They'd be a top. They'd be a top five seed in the East. They'd be they'd without be, Curry. No, 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 no. I'm saying with Curry. Yeah, yeah. with Curry, sure. Yeah, they yeah. they'd probably be a four or five. Yeah. So, I think Curry is the MVP this year. I think he has he has dragged them to relevancy. He teams. I don't. I don't care what team it is. There's no way that you can be happy as a one seed having to go up against the Golden State Warriors in the first round if they happen to get to that point. He is an impossible cover. 
He makes everyone better. And I just don't see how you can argue anyone. But I mean, listen, of the three, the most dominant is 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 surely Embiid. Mm-hmm. Of the three, maybe the, the the arguably the best all around player might be Jokic, even though he only plays one end of the court. But Steph, I think, is the most valuable to his team of the three, and I think that tells you enough as it is. Um, and that's why Steph is my MVP this year. Um, now let's go over to the defensive player of the year. I, I have a sneaking suspicion sure. as, as to who wins this for you, uh, uh, <laughs> but go ahead. Give me your three. So I'm going to say Ben Simmons. I'm going to say Rudy Gobert and I'll say Bam out of bio. All right. Now, now before we now we're gonna get, we're gonna give him a cliffhanger, Brock. Tell us about the King Cobra. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, listen, the King Cobra—they've been holding it down for us for a minute. All right. <laughs> so if you support Austin, if you support me, if you support anybody at the Feed Two Embiid, Kai, I know he comes on here for a little bit, uh, a little bit. Then you got to support the King Cobra. It's that simple. If you like shotgunning beer. If you want to increase your shotgunning time at parties, you got to check them out at the King Cobra. The King Cobra is a shotgunning tool that makes the perfect shotgunning hole in under a second. I wish I could show you, but no cameras right now, so you're going to have to use your imagination. It's also a tab puller, vent puncher, and all fits on a keychain. For more info about the King Cobra, check them out on IG at the King Cobra Co. That's the King Cobra Co. And Cobra, as always, is spelled with a K. For a 10% discount on all products, enter the code TRUSTTHECOBRA10, all caps, one word, pick yours up today. Not tonight, not tomorrow, pick it up today. (laughs) Anyway, Austin. Go ahead. The defensive player of the year for me is Ben Simmons, Rudy Gobert, and Bam Adebayo. Okay. Bam Adebayo is probably two years away from real national recognition, but just in terms of versatility, sticking with other positions, perimeter defense, defense in the paint, uh, his muscle, I think Bam is top three. I, I, I would take Bam to defend the perimeter or within the paint over a lot of guys in the league. Rudy Gobert and Ben Simmons have a really, really interesting race. And this is something I documented last year when I dropped my Ben Simmons Defensive Player of the Year video. Because Rudy Gobert, I definitely agree, is one of the most impactful defenders, if not the most impactful in basketball. His paint presence is enough similar to Embiid to throw another team off. If a guard gets deep in the paint and he's there, it might alter the shot. It might force a turnover. They might force a pass, but it alters the shot, just having him there because of his size and his defensive prowess. But my argument was that in the modern modern NBA, where basketball has evolved to really cater towards perimeter players, guys that can create off the dribble from outside of the perimeter – Rudy Gobert or a shot blocker can't be the defensive player of the year anymore unless they're really checking guards and, and, and making an impact out of the perimeter. So my problem was Kawhi Leonard wins it, Draymond Green wins it, Rudy Gobert gets it again, and Rudy Gobert was a two-time winner prior. I thought there was a new precedent. I, I thought they were going to start to award multi-positional defenders that can really lock down multiple positions, but... Rudy Gobert wins it again. I think he's a three-time defense player of the year, okay? And prior to Kawhi and Draymond winning it, really the only non-center to win it was Ron Artest. 
which in the 2000s where a lot was done in the paint, I completely understand and agree that Rudy Gobert should be the depoy. But now you've got Dame, you've got Steph, you've got Luka, you've got Devin Booker, you've got all these guards that just dominate games. Not even guards, just 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 dominant ball handlers like Jason Tatum, players like that, right? Rudy Gobert can't defend them. He literally can't. Rudy Gobert has defended guards for way less than Simmons this season, yet surrendered more points to him. He has defended forwards for way less than Simmons this season, yet surrendered more points than Simmons has to forwards. The only position Rudy Gobert can defend is the center. And think about how many centers dominate games in the NBA now. Nikola Jokic, maybe Cat, Joel Embiid. And they all dominated Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert had no answer for Embiid. Rudy Gobert got dropped off by Nikola Jokic. He got dropped off by Zion Williamson. If you look at any of the guards that I named earlier that went against Rudy Gobert, Zach Levine, Devin Booker, Jason Tatum, Chris Paul, Luka, what do they all do when they see a switch on the Rudy Gobert? They lick their chops, they shake their head, and they say, it's go time. One-on-one. Let's go. I'm going to beat you to the basket. I'm going to create off the dribble. I'm going to cross you into a different dimension. But nonetheless, they all say it's go time when Rudy Gobert is anywhere outside of the paint. If he's anywhere outside of the perimeter, he's a statue. He's he's a straight minus. The Jazz won't let him anywhere outside of the perimeter because he'll get beat 100 times out of 100 times. And to me, there's there's that. But also, when you've got guys after the game, Dorian Finney-Smith, He says, we knew Rudy was going to be guarding me when Dallas played Utah recently. We knew Rudy was going to be guarding me. I knew I was going to get shots up all game. My guys told me, shoot, 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 take 15 threes. I took 12 because Rudy was on me, so there's that. What does that tell you? When Ben Simmons drops 42 on the Jazz, and I know less than 10 were on Gobert, but if Gobert was the defensive player of the year, if he was the best defender in the league, you can throw him on Simmons, and Simmons doesn't get 42. So you could say, yeah, Simmons only went three for seven against Gobert, whatever it was. Well, Simmons still had 42. Gobert still had to watch his other 30 points. If he was the best defender on the on the planet, you could throw him on Ben, and Ben doesn't drop 42. And then after the game, Ben, also like Dorian Finney-Smith, says, well, I knew who was going to be on me. I like attacking guys like that, and I felt like it was disrespectful. That's it right there. That's the conversation ender to me, Right. I don't care about the metrics because the metrics don't play the game the players do. The metrics only matter people like me and you. Me and you use defensive rating and and defensive field goal percentage and this and that to justify the narrative that we want to push. We think Ben's the deep voice, so we'll use these numbers in our favor just the same way Gobert fans and Jazz fans can do it for him. But they don't play the game. The numbers don't play the game. The players do. When you've got players talking like that about a defender and then you see guys when they see him call for ISOs and go one-on-one and cook them, that's all I need to know. Because if you were the best defender in the world, the best defender on the planet, players wouldn't talk about you like that. So to me, I think Ben is a guy that can maybe not guard centers as well, but can defend one through four better than 99% of the league. There's Kawhi, there's McHale, there's Bam at a bio, but really the list stops there. So the fact that you can throw a guy two inches shorter than Rudy Gobert onto Luka Doncic and, and, and Luka's scared straight the whole game, like he wants nothing to do with the offense, and yet he is the offense, that tells me the story. 
because Rudy Gobert can't even defend Luka. And that's where it ends for me. Yeah. Um, I agree. Uh, my answer is going to be a lot less winded, but I generally do. I agree with your criteria. Um, I think Rudy Gobert is, we, we give him shit because he cries and he carries on a lot and, Jazz fan people have problem with Jazz fans, although of all people do not have problem with the fan base. I actually don't have a problem with the Jazz fans of all people. I don't I know it's weird to think about, but I don't. Um having said that, it's a big problem for me that he can't defend in space and that smaller players literally beg for the ball when 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 he's on them. I mean, it really it, it pins you, it confines you to the rim. And I think that there is an element of like we should commend him for and i'm not saying that we should do it but i'm saying that people who vote and push the narrative i think there's an element of like well it, i think he gets brownie points for putting himself in a spot where he can take the brunt of those uh you know like he like he puts himself in a, in a position to be, be on posters and he's okay with that i think people respect that about him um but i also think that he has a luxury in that while the he's defending against high shot quality in layups and dunks, he has the ability to swat them at the backboard. He has a sort of a, almost like a bowling, a bowling lane there where you have the fender up there. You can swat the ball off the backboard to, to, to perturb the shot if he wants to. Um, and I think for guys like Adebayo, guys like Ben Simmons, um, they're on the perimeter. They r- routinely, make defensive plays against smaller defenders and can be switched multiple positions. Um, I I think for me, it probably goes to Ben Simmons uh, because there, there, there isn't a guy in the league who I think like his entire all-star case can be made on his ability to defend. And I feel like that that's what it is with Ben. Uh, and yes, he's like, he, he's obviously um, in, in some areas of the offensive game, a, 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 a star in other areas, not so much. Um, but I, I would say that I, I think he has this ability to lock on to somebody and just dominate and close out a fourth quarter on that side of the court. Mm-hmm. And while Adebayo has that, I think he has the luxury of having another one or two perimeter defenders who are capable of, 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 of assisting him with that. Um, Jimmy Butler, obviously um, there's, there's some other guys there who, who are, who are fine. Yeah, who, who I was going to say like a Reza, Iggy precious. They got some good perimeter defenders over there. Right. Right. Um, so, I mean, they, they do have some guys that sort of help, um, pad any kind of rough stretches for him, if you will. Whereas Ben, it's like, yeah, you have uh, Danny, yeah, you have Tobias, but Ben is by far and away the 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 the, per, the defender on the team. He's stop. number one. Uh, He's the stop. Yeah, that that's it, and I think that's why. You, he gets it. I also think that matters that the Sixers are in first place in the East. And I know some people don't want to like take into the account the records and whatnot. 
okay, but here's the thing. You, you, you kind of have to, because it isn't just like, it's a great team effort that um, the Sixers are where they are. It's, it's because you have a top five or whatever it is defense that's anchored by Ben Simmons. And I think that's the, that, that, that's what it comes down to. Um, I think what hurts Simmons though, is the fact that he's playing with another potential defense player of the year. Like if him and Embiid split votes, that bodes well for a player like Gobert. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and people would say, again, people are going to say like, I think the, the, the more impactful defender is the rim protector. You could, you can make that argument, but I also think that the ability to, to, to inflict more damage from an individual standpoint can come at from, from, from the person tasked with defending the perimeter. Like if, it, it's as simple as this, right? You're playing the Portland Trailblazers. You're playing Golden State. You're playing Phoenix. You're playing Denver when Jamal Murray's healthy. You pick any team as a top seven or eight seed in the West. If it's a two or three point game, the opposing team needs a three to tie or to go ahead. And they're giving the ball to Devin Booker, to Damian Lillard, to Luka, to Steph Curry. You look at any team in the West that's a top seed, what is Rudy gonna be- Gobert going to do with the game on the line? He's not going to do anything. You, you can't put him on any of those. be on skates. Exactly. You can't put him on any of them. So I do think rim protection matters, and rim protection is super significant. And, and like I said, uh, in terms of paint protection, Rudy Gobert has the ability to change a game. But with the game on the line, if you need to defend a point guard, a shooting guard, a small forward, or a power forward, you could put a player like Ben or Bam on them. Rudy Gobert, you can't. He's got to chill in the paint or defend a center. And he's not a liability. I'm not going to go that far. But you just can't use him in that situation. So to me, you couple that with the fact that the players are talking the way they are about him and the players react the way they do when they get him one-on-one, and the conversation ends there for me. And this isn't something new. This isn't a personal bias I have. I've been campaigning for this for a while. I, I, I really hoped that the NBA set a new standard with Draymond and Kawhi winning Depoy where they reward multi-positional defenders that impact the game just as much as a rim protector. But Rudy won the year after that. So I, I don't know what direction the NBA is heading in, but at some point there's going to be a change because – there's only so many bigs that dominate on the block. So a paint protector really can't be the most impactful defender on the floor at some point. Yeah, I I, I agree. And I mean, a rim protector can be, but I think that they have, there, there's some inherent advantage to being a rim protector that while like you're basically like you're tasked with, with, with trying to stop chip shots. It's also that you, you, there's less of a repertoire. With, it, it's it's kind, of, it's kind of like a safety in football. Like the cornerbacks, the guys that strap up and press to the line or stick with the receiver through their first move, but the safety or whoever's over the top helps out in coverage. Right. I see it the same way on the on the on the basketball court with a paint protector. You're defending an area, not a player. Yeah, I agree. All right. Now over to the coach of the year. Yes. Brock, your top three. 
Yeah, listen, Austin, I gave you some heat for this a few weeks ago because you said Tom Thibodeau. I'm not going to say him, but I think you you were a little ahead of the curve there. <laughs> I, do th- I, do, I, I do think he could potentially be a coach of the year, and what he's done in New York has been magnificent. I mean, the NBA and the world is just a better place when there's good basketball in New York, in, in the mecca of basketball. So uh, I do want to apologize to you for discrediting your take a few weeks ago with Tom Thibodeau, um, but he is potentially coach of the year. I'm going to say Monty Williams, Doc Rivers, and Quinn Snyder. I'm going to give it to Monty Williams. Okay. I think if you look at what Phoenix is doing this year and compared to what they did last year, the offense is so much different. The defense is a whole of a lot better. They go 8-0 in the bubble, unfortunately, didn't advance to the playoffs. Uh, unfortunately, Monty's, Monty's wife passed in a car accident recently. And Phoenix is arguably the best team in the West. I mean, I know there's injuries, but Phoenix is one of the quickest teams to 30 wins. They were 9-1 and one over their last 10 before the game last night with Milwaukee. They ended up closing that game out on a suspect call, to say the least. But regardless, 41-16, and 16, second place in the East, 6-3 and three in their division, 23-9 and nine at home, 18-7 and seven on the road, 8-10, and 8-2 and eight and two in their last 10. So... I think Phoenix is really deserving. And, I mean, you could say that Chris Paul is the reason why they're so much better this year than last year, but you still have to have a coach to instill culture and still a system. And right now they're, they're, they're getting contributions everywhere. It's top to bottom. Cam Johnson, Kel Bridges, DeAndre, Chris Paul, D-Book, everyone on their bench, they're getting contributions top to bottom. Jay Crowder. So I think Monty Williams is going to get coach of the year. Okay. Here's mine. Doc, mm-hmm. Monty, and Tibbs. Okay. And I think while Doc is obviously in first place in the East, um, I think there's as much general management involvement and as much Embiid deciding to be dominant. Um as anything and i think a lot of like what it has been is like he he's helped individual guys find their stride like tobias and he's really unlocked tobias but i i don't know that i see anything that's like revolutionary in terms of what he has done on the coaching stuff i mean i think the defense is better but i think that's dan burke more than anything Uh um that isn't to say that doc's just like getting all the credit for his uh, guys like for his staff's work i think doc's a great coach um, I think what it, I think really though it's 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 the, the the player component of it I think is more tangible um, than it is for the other candidates. Monty Williams, uh, obviously, he's led that franchise from dirt for you know two years ago um, to you know they were they were pretty good at the end of the last year to now they're a dominant team in the West. They're my pick if the Lakers aren't healthy uh, to to win the West. Truth be told. Um, but I got to go with Tibbs. Here's why. I think okay. Tibbs, it's a cultural reset. I think he's turned, I think he's helped turn Randall into an all-star. And I think that team is, is, is so improved on multiple different fronts. I mean, they're, they're, they're a, a great, right now they're a great defensive team. Their offense is getting better, although a little bit clunky at times. RJ Barrett's coming along and I think you can really grasp the impact that Hibbs has had on that team. And I think um, 
he's really brought basketball or the good vibes around basketball back to New York. This mm-hmm. So I'm going to. So here's what I'll say. I think, uh, I think doc is probably the most deserving. Um, I, 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 I say that because we've been watching Sixers basketball for the past couple of seasons and, Everything Doc has implemented is a breath of fresh air. Everything is refreshing. Everything the Sixers do looks better on film this season compared to last. There's the defensive thing where Dan Burke is probably overseeing most of that. Dave Yeager, too, a little bit. Popeye Jones, he worked with Dan Burke. So it's more of a collaborative effort. Sam Cassell, I know, is working really intricately with Tobias, with Ben. Uh, Joe, there is that factor that he came in this season, a father, a little bit older after that Toronto lost and getting bounced in the bubble. And he's like, all right, it's time for me to really step up. But in terms of X's and O's, the offense, the system, the culture, everything is different than it has been in the past five seasons in Philly. I think Doc is the most deserving because this is a team that that's always had championship expectations, but this is the first season where those expectations are real. And there's nothing bad coming out of the locker room. It's it's the complete opposite. Like, these guys can't get away from each other. They love getting lit on the bench and hanging out with each other, texting in the group chat. Like, all of that, it's top down. and It probably does start with management. But that's directly from Doc. Like, you can pinpoint that with Doc. And Doc says he, as coaches around the league, constantly evaluate him and his assistants and give them feedback on what they can do better just communicating with his players. Like, I think Doc is the most deserving. But when you look around the league, the circumstances with Monty Williams and what Phoenix has done, they went from a team with no playoff aspirations at all to potentially the best in the West. I think that gives him an upper hand. And Tibbs, I really like what you said. Like, they had a cultural reset, and that's independent. Like, that comes directly from Tibbs. Tibbs was out of basketball for a little bit. When he came back, everyone's like, oh, great. He's going to waste away Julius Randle. He's going to waste away IQ. R.J. Barrett's going to be in hell. He's going to have these dudes playing 40 minutes, hating their life. Like, the Knicks went from a laughing stock in the NBA to laughing at the rest of the East, like, catch up. Like, right now they're behind Boston, but for a little while they're telling Boston, they're telling Miami, catch up to us. We set the standard. And for that, I see your point. Uh, I'll just finish with this. I'm, I'm glad I don't have to make these decisions because – for every single race we talk about, I only have a definitive answer for two. It's most improved and his defensive player of the year. So everything is a toss-up right now. Yeah, um, I I tend to agree. Um, now, we do have two more awards to go to. I'll try to make it quick. I've been talking your ear off. I'll try to make it quick. Look, this is what, four weeks we haven't been together? Uh, I think it's been <laughs> two or three. It's two or three. Um, yeah. Now, rookie of the year, mm-hmm. who are your top three? I'll keep it simple. I'll say Anthony Edwards, Tyrese Halliburton, and LaMelo Ball. That's exactly my top three. I think we've had the same top three for all three of the awards. Yeah. No, I mean, look. Coach of the year, we haven't. You had Quinn. But, but we, we haven't, but, like, I do understand why you'd say Tibbs. So, technically, we do. Um. But look, with Rookie of the Year, this is probably the easiest of the three from an outside perspective, from a voting perspective. I don't know how it'll vary because LaMelo Ball was the runaway Rookie of the Year before he got hurt. And now with 12 games left, I don't know how many he'll be able to play. Charlotte's an eight seed. 
let's say they sneak out of the play-in and get a top six seed and it's because of LaMelo. I don't know. LaMelo might sneak in late and get rookie of the year. Tyrese Halliburton has been doing it consistently all season. He's been contributing consistently for Sacramento, unfortunately on a winning team, but he's been doing it all season. And Anthony Edwards has has, the, has had this crazy surge in the past, I don't know, month, month and a half, where he looks really good at everything. Defense, help defense, dribbling, creating his own shot. He's probably had two of the top five best dunks of the season this year. And he's the best interview in basketball right now. He's the most blunt and best interview in basketball. It's just unfortunate that Minnesota just so happens to be one of the worst organizations in basketball. So I really don't know what the decision is going to come down to for the voters, but at this moment, I'd say it's Anthony Edwards. Okay. I think LaMelo, I think to like you and I did not penalize Joel for, for, for games, or maybe, maybe you did. I, I didn't penalize Joel for, for, for games missed. Um, mm-hmm. So I can't say that I'm going to penalize LaMelo uh, for games missed. Um, okay. I do think he's been far and away the best, the, the, the best rookie um of the class i think his shooting has been a lot better than people thought it would be his playmaking has been as advertised his defense has been a little bit more inspired although there's ways to go i think generally speaking he's had a really good rookie year i think he's sort of inspired his teammates that charlotte team is better than what a lot of people thought they'd be um in this you know the second year after kemba left leaves um and i think like tyrese halliburton's the third guy there because you generally have to have a th- like we just have to have a third candidate, and he's been one of the more polished rookies of this class. But I don't think he really has a, has a like a, a, a prayer in this. I really don't. Um, mm-hmm. It's really just Edwards versus Lamelo. I've, I've been disappointed with James Wiseman this year. I thought he'd be better, but mm-hmm. and, I, and I would have taken him number one. Uh, I'll admit. So that I, I guess I might have botched that pick. Um, but we should it's see. Still early. It's still early, but imagine, imagine Lamelo on the Warriors. Yeah, no, that would be something else for sure. Um, anyway, so I think Edwards' uh, efficiency has been an issue at times, but I think he is figuring it out. I think he's going to be one of those guys that, if he, even if he doesn't win the the award, I think he has a good chance of being a star. Um, and if he's not a star, then I think he's going to at least be another Andrew Wiggins. <laughs> mm-hmm. That would be, that would be hell for the, for the, for the Timberwolves. Um, but I think Lamelo is a runaway here. I think it's a Lamelo by a pretty comfortable margin. Okay. Um, last one, man. most improved. Um, I think this is, I think it's really easy to name one or two on this list. I think yeah. you're probably going to have the same winner. But who is your your top three? All right, so I'll reveal my winner last. And I think a lot of players qualified for, for this award, and that's just a testament to how much guys worked in the offseason. I think Tobias Harris could qualify for this award. He's been great everything this year, substantially better than in years past. He's hitting his spots. He's doing his thing on defense. I think a player like Chris Boucher is deserving of the Most Improved Player of the Year award out in Ooh, Toronto. I like that. De'Aaron Fox is probably my number two. I'd say Christian Wood qualifies. De'Aaron Fox just jumping to 25 points, uh, distributing the ball. I think he makes a compelling case. Another one, Zach Levine could qualify, depending on what your your, your qualifications are. Christian Wood, he's potentially a most improved player of the year. But the guy who I'm going to say number one for most improved player of the year is Julius Randle. And there is no question in my mind 
that there has been anybody more improved than Julius Randle, and I'm going to prove it to everybody listening. And anyone following me, subscribe to me on YouTube this week with a Julius Randle Most Improved Player of the Year video. So Randle this year out in New York has done everything better than he's ever done in his career. Isolation, he's top five in points. He's scoring one-on-one against dudes any single way possible. The step-backs, snatchbacks, bullying his way to the basket. His foul drawing is a lot better. This is the first time he's been top 10 in fouls drawn in his entire career. He's top five in assisted three-point makes. You know how much I love Ben and his assisted three-pointers. Well, Julius Randle, he's right up there with Ben. Top five. How's he doing it? Penetrating, kicking, driving, kicking, drawing more defenders, finding the open guy on the floor. And that's something that he's really struggled with before. So his turnovers look up to par with his career norms. But the thing is, Julius Randle has done everything better on the basketball court this year than he's done in years past. He got with his trainer, even bought a property out in Dallas close to home where he could train this year in the offseason because he said he was furious watching other players play, other teams play in the bubble last year, and he didn't. He couldn't play. And how's he make his money? Playing basketball. So he got in the in the gym, and he was cooking up in the lab, and he came back with a full arsenal of, of moves. I mean, he's a top five isolation scorer in the league this year. He's breaking dudes down by bullying them. He's drawing fouls. He's top 10 in fouls drawn this season. He's never been top 10 in his career. If he's not bullying you or drawing fouls, he's hitting you with a step back, a snatch back, a crossover, through the legs, whatever. Anywhere within 15 feet of the basket, if he is a one-on-one, it's like Joel Embiid. Not as dominant, but with his size, he's probably going to put a bucket on your head. Assisted three-pointers made. You know how much I love Ben for assisting as many three-pointers as he does. Well, Julius Randle, he's fourth this year in assisted three-point makes. He has 188 assisted threes. He's never had over 140 in his career. He's driving and kicking. He's penetrating and kicking, drawing more than one defender, finding the open guy on the floor. And that's something he's done exceptionally well this year. Not only has he set career highs in three-pointers made and three-point percentage, added that range to his game, but he's seeing the floor so much better and letting the game come to him naturally. Uh, He has about the same amount of turnovers as he usually always does in a season, but this year, only nine charges. And why does that matter? Well, he's been top 10 in charges, top three, in fact, in 2019, 18, and 17. He was third, second, and first, respectively. So he's really improved his game in the half court, added range, added great passing. He's top 10 in free throws attempted, triple doubles, double doubles. There's no player more deserving than most improved than Julius Randle. Yeah, I I think you nailed it. Um, I actually have two Knicks on my list. So my top three is this. Julius Randle, who will be my winner. I think he's been outstanding this year. Fine. I think a lot of it is his own getting his body right and sort of, you know, growing up a little bit and and and, and finally realizing how good how good he can be. Um, but I, I do think that he is well worthy of it and he was worthy of that all star berth and whatnot. And I think uh, but also Terry Rogier, I think, has been awesome. He's averaging twenty one a game. He's over 50% on, on twos now this year, and he's hitting the three better. Um, he's still, like, nothing great on defense, but I think he's like, he's gotten to the point where you're not quite sure whether the, whether the Celtics actually run, won the sign-in trade for Walker anymore. Like, I'm not sure I would. <laughs> I'm not sure I wouldn't rather have Terry Rozier instead of Walker. In fact, I, I'm pretty confident I would rather have Terry Rozier instead of Kemba at this point. Um, but – 
I, I Terry, I think is deserving of it. Number three, RJ Barrett. I think he's been, I think he's been tremendous. Like um, you're not going to see a jump in his like output, but his efficiency is way better, way better three point shooter, way better free throw shooter. Um, he's playing a little bit more of an all around game. I think he's learning how to play in the post at a rapid pace. And I think he has been really good for the Knicks this year. A big reason as to why they are where they are. Um, Brock, when your power is not out, where do, where can they find you? <laughs> on Twitter, at Landis Brock. You know the deal. And on YouTube, at just my name, Brock Landis. I'm going to be dropping a most improved player video about Julius Randle this week. So if you don't believe me, if you don't believe Austin, I'll have the film and numbers to support it. Sixers breakdowns as always. All right. And I am Austin Krell. You can find me on Twitter at NBA Krell. I cover the Sixers for the Panda Lions day to day. I also do do film breakdowns now. I'm not nearly as good as Brock is, but Come on. I, I, I do I do know how to diagram some X's and O's here and there. And you can and obviously you can find us at the feed to NBA where we do pods every week. Uh Brock, as always, my friend. It, it has been stellar. I hope the fame, uh, it, you know, I, 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 I hope I can get in with the receptionist a little earlier next time around and we can get this. You'll, you'll, you'll have, you, hey, listen, you helped me out. You helped me out get to where I am. So I'll, you'll always have a special place in my heart. I there guess. we go, Brock. All right, everybody. We appreciate you tuning in. Have a good night. And we'll see you next time for another episode of the Feed to Embiid.